Good morning, everybody. You guys online. The more people that are gathering in this room, the more time it takes for them all to shake hands, which is good. It's fellowship time, right? But eventually, somebody's got to be the one to say, to tell them to sit down. All right. That's enough fellowshipping. I'm grateful that you, you guys like each other. That's good. That's good. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I wanted to mention, uh, if anybody's not getting the, uh, the Inu Hope, um, uh, you can go on, on, online and sign up for it, ournewhope.org. There, there's a new box that we just put on the front of the website that's supposed to be able to let, let you sign up for it. I will admit, we've been having some like, bugs with it lately. We're not quite sure that it's working the way that it should, so uh, we're, we're going to work on that, uh, but, but, but that is the plan, you know, to be able to do that. So um, continue to do that, and, and I, I will work on the bugs. Um, me and, uh, and Mark Ludwig. So anyway, um, at this time, we haven't done this in a little while. Oh, you know what? There's this like circulator pump that's below the church that's like been, been, been humming and it goes on like every 30 seconds. It'll like go on for like 10 seconds and then it goes off. So I'm sorry about that. I, I've, I've called, we, we had a guy come out. He looked at it. Um, they was told it's fixed. No worries. Uh, and then this yesterday when we were in here, it started up again. So I'm sorry about that. But that, that'll, that'll hopefully not be too distracting. But at any rate, at this time, I'd like the congregation to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. In the upper room, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you know what I command you. No longer I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you whether, so that you will love one another. Brothers and sisters, all flesh is grass. The beauty of that grass is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this, the word of our God, endures. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. So, um, I tend to write sermons, I don't know if this is the right term, extemporaneously. I mean, I try to like keep the, like the point focused on the topic um, and on the text, but, but I don't often speak in like outlined points. I maybe could do that. Maybe, you know, it'd be a good thing for me to do. I don't know. But, but today, there actually is three things that I want to talk about in regards to this text. I want to talk about abiding, I want to talk about bearing fruit, and I want to talk about the vine. We're continuing this morning in our series, God in Our Midst, uh, which this particular Lenten portion of the series, God in Our Midst, is entitled The Upper Room because we are hearing Jesus' words to his disciples in the upper room. So we're in the first part of John 15, and if you've been keeping track This is the seventh of Jesus' I am statements. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now we hear him say, I am the true vine. Now that word true probably just means like sincere or trustworthy the vine that you can rely on, but it might also be important for us to consider that Jesus, if Jesus is the true vine, then there are also false vines, false worldviews that that might appear alluring, things that look in comparison to, well, in comparison to religion, for example, like they have an awful lot of things to offer. For an example, one might attach themselves to the vine or uh, the vine of money or possessions. And that, at first, might seem appropriate. Money's important, right? It makes the world go round. And the more of it you have, the more choices you have. So, so you sign up. You say, I'm going to sign up for the, the money vine. And you start to believe that then, if you're on the money vine, then bearing fruit is going to be just making more money and being able to buy more and better possessions. So you get the big job. And you, and you, and you buy the big house. And you get the awesome car, and maybe you get a boat, and you spend all of your time either tending to the possessions or just making more money. One day you wake up, and you look behind you, and, and like you don't like what you see, right? The fruit that you've been bearing it just doesn't taste good anymore. So money, possessions, power, prestige, all of these are alluring vines, Not to mention, like, the vine of political identity, sexual identity. Lots of folks fall for those vines. They're saying, I'm going to put all of my identity, my focus, the source of my life in in these boxes. Of course, there's also the vines of cynicism and stoicism and all of other sorts of isms that you can think of. So, So if Jesus is the true vine, all the others, even if they're actually kind of good in and of themselves, all of them, all the others are at least to some degree false vines because they will at some point eventually fail you. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
I told you before that I had three points for you. The, the metaphor of the vine is actually my third point, so we'll get back to that in a bit. Point number one is this. I would venture to say that the most important thing about this passage in John 15 is the word that Jesus says some 12 times throughout these 17 verses. Uh, the word is meno, or variations of it. The ESV translates this word abide. Other translations use remain, live, or like stay joined. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. There's that mutual indwelling again. Abide in me, remain in me, stay attached to me. Meno means to remain either in place or time, either state or condition. Those of us who are Jesus followers are to remain with him, abide in him. We are to, to dwell with him, to continue on with him, to tarry, to endure. We are to make our home with Jesus. Jesus wants us to get to know him, and not just like, not just superficially, not superficially. Like um, on social media, we, we get to see pictures of like friends and family, and we, we see important moments or read anecdotes or jokes, and hopefully those, hopefully those posts are pointing to the real you. If they aren't, that's a whole other conversation, but it's, let's just assume that they are pointing to the real you. You and I both know, even if they are really pointing to the real you, you and I both know that social media, a social media post, is never going to be able to take the place of an actual meeting of a face-to-face, -face, a person, actually meeting a person face-to-face, -face, spending time with them, working with them, laughing with them, sharing experiences with them. At best, social media is only going to be able to point towards a person. It's not a real connection. In the same way, Jesus doesn't want us to just know like, about him superficially. He wants to know you personally, and he wants you to know him personally. So how do we do this? I mean, reading the Bible and, and saying your prayers are great, but, but if those things are not deepening your relationship with the living God, it's not abiding. I mean, the academy and, and, and seminaries and, and colleges are filled with an awful lot of people who know an awful lot of things about Scripture, an awful thing, a lot of things about the Bible. But the question has got to be every morning, no matter how many PhDs you have in biblical literature, are you abiding with Jesus? When Jesus says, abide in me, he's telling us that he wants a real connection. He doesn't just want something superficial or nominal. When Jesus says, abide in me, the living God of the universe, the one in whom all things hold together, the one who shaped you and formed your innermost being, desires to guide you and live with you in the most intimate sense of the word. Uh, unfortunately, we, get, we, often, we, we, we so often come to God for like what he can give us. We come to God for our blessings. We come to, oh God, this is what I want from you. But we want what God can give us, but we don't want him. I mean, think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son wanted his inheritance, but in asking for it, he basically told his dad that, that dad, you might as well be dead to me. All I care about is your blessing, the, the inheritance, the, the money, the, not the relationship. Still, I mean, don't you love how in that story when when the son was coming home and he's rehearsing in his head how, what he's going to say to the father. The father saw him when he was still a long way off 
See, see, he was looking for him. The father never gave up hope that one day his son would come home. Jesus says, abide in me. He's at the end of the driveway. He's waving us in. He's looking for us. And he's saying, come home. Come home. I was listening to uh, Tony Evans this week. He's a fun guy. Great preacher. Uh, and he was talking about, um, he was talking about drinking tea. <laughs> and, and he said, like, you know, there's two kinds of tea drinkers. There's dippers and there's like steepers. Like some folks, they sit there and they like dip the bag. He was like doing this on stage. Some folks like dip the bag in the mug like over and over and over again. They're like unsure about putting the bag in the tea. They got the string wrapped around the spoon and the the little handle, right? But Tony Evans says, when I drink tea, I put the bag in the mug and I just step away from it. The hot water flows through the bag, and the bag flows through the hot water, and the tea just fills the water. The water is abiding with the tea. He said a lot of folks are they're dippers when it comes to their relationship with God. They want to dip into the things of God like here and there. They, they want to visit him. They want to visit him on Sunday morning. Maybe they want to visit him when it's time to say grace. They want to visit him at the, at the wedding ceremony, but they don't want to invite him to the reception. Actually, that was my addition. The point is this. Was Jesus invited to your reception? Anyway, the point is this. Jesus is saying that to follow him, to truly believe in him, to have faith in him will require, God desires that you live with him, for him to be the true vine in your life, the center of your whole being, the source of everything that you are. He formed you. He wants you to live out of his life. He desires a relationship with us where his spirit dwells in our midst. He doesn't want us to merely visit him uh, here and there when things get tough or when it's socially appropriate to talk about God. He wants us to live a full-time faith that flows naturally through every facet of our lives. You know, one more point about this abiding thing. Take, for example, vacation. You know, with prices sky high, I know a lot of us might be foregoing vacation plans this year, but this still will be a good illustration. You, you, you might imagine that, that vacation would be a prime example of a time that you want to leave God out. You might think, well, I'm on vacation, right? I don't want to have to worry about reading or studying or going to church or any of that religious stuff. I just want to eat and drink and be merry and not, not think about all that stuff. I just want to relax and recharge. See, the major fault in that thinking is the assumption that God doesn't want you to have fun, that, that God doesn't want you to recharge, and that he's far too holy to relax and just have a good time. Jesus' first miracle should have blown that assumption out of the water. The truth is that God wants more than anyone in your life. God wants you to recharge, and he wants you to have a good time. He wants you to have fun. He's an advocate for your vacation. He designed you with a purpose for this world, and he knows that every now and then you're going to need to stop doing and turn off. In fact, he knows this so well that thousands of years ago, he put a whole day in your weekly calendar where you're not supposed to be doing any work. 
Sabbath is the day when your work is done, even when it isn't. It's the day where you can be reminded that he is God and you are not. So therefore, go on vacation. Recharge, relax, have fun, and do it all with the knowledge that you're not neglecting your faith when you do that. When you go on vacation, you're tending to your faith. Everyone needs to be charged, uh, to, to recharge. Abide in him at all times, even, even on vacation. One of the challenges with this abiding business is that we tend to categorize certain things as like faith activities. Now, of course, don't get me wrong, things like prayer and Bible study and Sunday worship are all crucial parts of your faith. It's clear from Scripture that we are supposed to be attentive to them. But the reason why we're attentive to them is because we are supposed, they are supposed to fuel our 24-7 abiding faith. If you own a car, you aren't just a car owner when you go to the gas station. Also, it's important that when that we see abiding, that we see this abiding is, is intimately connected to obedience. Jesus says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so this brings us to that second point. How do we know that we've kept his commandments? Our lives bear fruit. That phrase appears over a half dozen times in our passage for today. Bear fruit. Have you seen the, um, the t-shirts that like, they have a bear, like a bear and he's like eating fruit and it's like, it says bear fruit? Anyway, get those t-shirts. Evans had a few things to say about this as well. He said that fruit always bears the character of the tree of which it was a part. Do you, do you know what kind of fruit an apple tree bears? Mary knew it. Mary, Mary, Mary was right on top of that. Apple trees produce fruit, uh, apples. What, what, now, what, what kind of fruit does an orange tree bear? Oranges. You know it. You guys are smart people, I tell you. Now, what kind of fruit does a Holy Spirit tree bear? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things aren't different fruits of various trees. Those are all the bundle of fruit that one bears when they abide with God, the true vine. We're actually going to spend this summer, eight weeks this summer, talking about just one of those words, kindness. In verse 2, Jesus says that every branch that does not bear fruit, he, he takes away. But don't, don't rush to assume that this is, this is immediately about eternal judgment. In verse 6, Jesus does say that if anyone does not abide in him, he is thrown into the fire and burned. So evidently, Jesus does take this abiding and fruit-bearing business very seriously. And after Easter, actually, we're going to do a, a series called How Does That Work Again? And the first topic of that series is going to be hell. So stay tuned. But, but verse 2, when he says that the branches not bearing fruit are taken away, the, the Greek actually literally means to lift up or to examine. So the image is, of a branch that has been maybe stuck in the mud. It, it's been suffocating for air and for sunlight. So God lifts it up. He, he repositions it to be more effective. And sometimes it means that you're exposed in a way that you hadn't been before, right? You're getting sunlight that you hadn't had before. Confession. Um, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor it is to give someone a job that they aren't ready for. And you know why I do it? 
because Jesus did it all the time. He did it like on every page of the Gospels. I mean, just a few minutes ago in the, in the story, Peter himself is surprised that Jesus washed his feet. Oh, no, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. But then, after Peter thinks he kind of sort of understands, Jesus just flat out tells him that in a few hours, he's going to crack under virtually no pressure at all and deny even knowing him three times. And this is the guy to which Jesus is going to hand over the whole operation. None of these guys were what we'd call ready. I mean, don't get me wrong. Go to school, go to college, get your training, tend your fields, but never doubt that one day God is going to say the words, whom shall I send? And whether you're ready or not, the answer might be you. There are lots of things in the life of a church that that could look like, you know, ways that you could maybe get involved in ways that you hadn't been before. Welcome team, kids ministry, worship team, kids ministry. Leading a small group discussion. Oh, I love doing that. I love, that's just my favorite thing in the world is asking somebody to lead a small group discussion and they say, not me. No, no, I I couldn't do that. No, 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 no. No, you're, I want want to hear what you have to say and I want you to lead us through this, this discussion and it's just beautiful. Or maybe it's like joining the elder team or, or preaching or kids ministry. Or the tech team. We're pretty good on the tech team. We've got, we got a good schedule now. Anyway. We're tech team. We're tech team, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, though, maybe, though, out of the, out of the life of the, of the church, maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a promotion that you're not sure you're ready for. Maybe that old job kind of had you stuck in the mud, you know, you were kind of like going through the motions, and, and now God's calling you to a new job or, or maybe to lead a team. Maybe he's calling you to start a business. You know, I think about becoming a parent. I wasn't ready for that. Who could? Who could be ready for that? But, you know, it's funny that even though I knew I wasn't ready for it at the time, I also knew that it was the right time. That was kind of a weird little paradox in life right there. Amy and I heard God say, whom shall I send? And we were terrified, but we said, we'll do it. The point is, where, whatever it is, you, you might not be ready, but I'll tell you this, as Mary often likes to say, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Your best shot at success is abiding with him. That's how you're going to be trained. That's how you will be equipped for the work of the, for the ministry or the work that whatever you're doing out there that is bearing fruit. And don't be, think for a minute that, you're, that you can't bear fruit for Jesus at your job because you absolutely can't. You absolutely should be. This is how you'll bear fruit that will keep its taste by abiding in him. So Jesus tells us that when we abide with him, we bear the fruit that he created us to bear. He says that, that, that in that moment, when we're bearing fruit, that's when God is glorified. That's when we, we prove to be his disciples. When we start living life with Jesus on the throne, it is then that we start to live the life we were created to live. And the paradox there is that to follow Jesus is to follow the path of the cross, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Last week, I used the phrase, resurrectional cruciformity. It's a term from Mike Gorman. I know it's a heavy theological phrase, but I want you to learn it. I want you to use it. 
And if somebody asks you, what do they do at New Hope Community Church? You could say, resurrectional cruciformity. To live a life of resurrectional cruciformity, is a, it is a life that is enlivened and fueled and empowered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it is in the shape of the cross. See, it's a life of new creation, a life that is alive, but it is a life that is aware that the greatest love, the greatest way that you can serve this world is through sacrificial, selfless, humble love. It's like Dr. King said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I know I've brought this up before, but oh, I love it so much, so I'll mention it again. It was a book that came out a few years ago by a guy named Jim Collins called Good to Great. The, the, book of the, the point of the book was the study that, that Collins and his associates did to examine like a slew of businesses. And he, he, they wanted to know, these guys wanted to know what separated good companies from great companies in order to help other businesses go from good to great. So early in the book, they said that, you know, the thing that, that really set apart the good companies from the great companies, the really the big thing that made the big difference was this thing that they called level five leadership. Here's their definition of level five leadership. Level five leaders display a powerful mixture of personal humility and indomitable will. They are incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the cause, for the organization, for its purpose, and not themselves. When a level five leader was interviewed by a newspaper, all they wanted to talk about was all the people in the company that made their organization a success. Oh, you know, congratulations, Mr. Whatever, you know, the, the, the company's doing great. It's a Fortune 500 company. And the guy was like, oh, I just got to tell you about Bob and accounting. And like, I, I just got to tell you about Cynthia and this communications team that, like, they're, they're, that she's leading. It's just incredible. Like, these level five leaders, they, they, heard, they heard a compliment and they just deflected out praise of their team. They wanted to just point it to others. They wanted to point to others. And then when those same newspapers come to talk to them about their failures, ooh, the company doesn't look as strong as it was 10 years ago. That, that was when they started pointing the finger at themselves. Not in a self-defeatist way, but in a way that took ownership of the problem. In a way that talked about how they were going to improve and say, yeah, I need to change. You see, back to point three, Jesus is the true vine. But me? I'm the biggest false vine in my life. I have often fallen for the lie that my life is my own. And I deserve to be on the throne. I deserve to be in the chair. It's just not true. Not only is my life insufficient on its own to bear fruit that will last, when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, my life ceased to be mine. My life was bought at a price that I didn't pay. I am the false vine. I'm not the source of my own life. Jesus is. So I follow his lead, and he leads me on the path of resurrectional cruciformity, or level five leadership, whatever. Now, it's funny. It's funny. I find this funny. Not funny, ha-ha, but like, you know, quirky. God's little quirk. That when we surrender our lives to Jesus and abide in him, we are actually set free from the bondage of sin that has kept us from bearing fruit. 
And now, then, when we start bearing that fruit, one of the characteristics of that fruit bundle is that we're supposed to be exercising self-control. Isn't that funny? It is precisely when, in the moment, it is precisely when we bow a knee to Jesus and surrender our lives to God fully, it is then and there, as we are bowed before the living God of the universe, it is in that moment that he tells us to stand He removes our chains because it is for freedom that we have been set free. He says, be free. And now, according to Galatians, take control over your life, over this life that I have given you, and go bear fruit for a broken world. Now you and I both know that surrendering our lives to Jesus doesn't remove sin from our lives completely. That won't be accomplished this side of glory. But but the other thing that Jesus says about the vine this whole vine business is that, that every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes that it might bear more fruit. The, the word for prune is actually similar to the word for cleanse. As it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, here's another point that I've made over and over and over again, and you can expect to hear me repeat it many times in the future. Sin is not just ungodly behavior. It is unproductive behavior. Because we were created in God for a purpose. I mean, the passage couldn't be clear. You and I have a job to do, and sin keeps us from doing it. Pruning is painful. There's no way around that. Sometimes pruning happens as a result of us of being exposed in some way, but, but it's also true that, I hope, that pruning happens as a result of us abiding with Jesus, of having a relationship with Jesus. When we spend time with him, when we spend time in his word, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time worshiping and in fellowship with, with other believers, that, that is our refiner's fire. That's why the church is so important. The more we abide with the master, the more we'll realize that there are maybe habits and addictions and attitudes that, that aren't bearing the kind of fruit that God wants us to bear. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Lent is is a confessional season. It's a, it's a season for inward reflection and introspection. You know, Easter's in, in four weeks, four weeks from today, Easter Sunday. And as the worship team comes up, sings the last song, I, I, I wonder if, if you could just take a few minutes and ask God what steps you could take in the coming month to, to further abide with Jesus. Ask yourself, like, am, I, am I just visiting him? Or am I living with him? Are there areas of my life? Are there times? Like, look at your calendar. Like, actually look at your Monday through, or uh, Sunday through Saturday calendar and say, are there times, are there moments where I just feel like I'm not abiding with Jesus there? You know? I, I, I don't know, but I don't know what it is for you personally, but, but just to consider, like, are there things, are there places I'm going? Are there habits that I'm going to? Are there things that I'm looking at on the internet? Are there, are there things that I'm spending my time with that actually aren't helping me to abide with Jesus? So over the next four weeks, maybe look to, to, to spend some time. Maybe it's going to be some alone time. I'm, uh, I'm actually taking a personal retreat in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Um, 
But maybe it's also sitting down with a, with a trusted friend, asking them, like, what sort of fruit do you see my life bearing? Gosh, and if you really trust them, do you see anything in my life that shouldn't be there, that needs to be pruned? Do you see anything that is holding me back from bearing the fruit that you and I both know that God wants me to bear? Yeah, that's going to be painful, but the point is that the result is that you'll further abide in him and continue to bear fruit that lasts, fruit that matters. That is how, friends, the world is changed for the better. That is how we live this life of sacrificial love. That is how we, we follow Jesus' commands that, that greater love has no one than, than he who sacrifices himself for his friends. We live that sacrificial life in our community in order to bear fruit. We live a life of love and joy and peace in order to bear fruit. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, we can do nothing without you. Lord, you are our life. You're the way, the truth, the life. Lord, we come to you um, broken. Uh, Some of us um, have been dealing with some harmful things in our lives over the years. And maybe now is the time that, that you are working on some of us. Maybe now is the time you're working on all of us, I hope. Helping to drive us back to you. Help us to hear that you have been looking for us. That you've been calling us home. That you've been saying, I want you to live with me. I don't want you to just abide. I don't want you to just visit with me. I want you to abide. I want you to live here. I want you to, to make your home with me. Father, help us to hear your call. Help us to live the kind of lives that are worthy of your cross and your resurrection your cross, and your empty tomb. Lord, help us to understand that heavy word, resurrectional, that phrase, resurrectional cruciformity. Help us to know that that we are fueled and enlivened by the new creation of your resurrection and the way that we live, the way that we follow you out of the tomb is by living this life of sacrificial love, of selfless love, this life of humility, this life of peace and joy. Lord, we give it all to you. We love you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.